Yes. Making a reveal. Making a reveal. Hello and welcome to episode 67 of Rank and Review. In this episode of the podcast, your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons and his friend Rick Fair are going to review six movies on the theme of Tales of Madness. And I hope you go into this podcast, as usual, expecting the typical coarse language and spoilers that always accompany the Rank and Review podcast. Please seek out the show on iTunes or on Facebook. If you were to give me a positive review on Facebook or a like on uh, iTunes or vice versa, uh, that would be really great for my morale. A positive review on iTunes is really helpful for people catching the show and uh, getting more people to find it. And those likes on Facebook are just a nice way of telling me that there are people out there who appreciate what I'm doing. Without further ado... Welcome to Tales of Madness. Okay, so uh, welcome, Rick Fair. Yes. <laughs> uh, this is another one of the times where I've got a guest with me for Rank and Review, and thank you so much for doing this. No problem. Uh, who I know, but I don't know particularly well. Right. So this is going to be like probably the longest conversation we've had in our lives. <laughs> <together>. Most definitely, <laughs> yeah. But that's interesting because, like, I have no way of knowing where you're going to land on some of these movies. Right. And I think we've got a pretty divisive list in some ways. Like, there's a lot of movies in here that do have a love hate response. And I think you might find my one of my choices interesting. So we'll see. We'll find out out what happens. But uh, so uh, my dear friend Dorian sort of put this together. So a little shout out to our peeps, Dorian. Hey, Dorian. (laughs) And uh, I gave you a whole bunch of lists to look at you bet and of that stew tales of madness mm-hmm. is the one that jumped out at you was there a movie in there that particularly spoke to you why was it's all about list? silence of the lambs it was all about silence yeah, of the lambs that all... was the one you wanted to talk about that movie the rest just came with it well uh citizen x7 of course are definitely uh uh the top ones the two uh two stock in pathology i've never seen mm-hmm. and of course everyone knows uh natural yeah natural killers. killers yep so so yeah, it's an interesting list of movies. The theme here is, uh, unsurprisingly, madness. Mm-hmm. It's not quite a director masterclass in that um, some of these are people's first features or whatever. But we have sort of covered this topic in the past in the mm-hmm. show. And I am sort of flexing a little bit. Typically we're more about horror. Maybe not so much lately. The last few episodes have been a little bit different. But um, I think that... Uh, Especially the good thrillers, especially when we're talking like something like Sounds of the Lambs, mm-hmm. it really does ride that edge right oh, to yeah. coming over into horror. As yeah, far as you I'm could concerned. go either way, really. Thriller, yeah. horror, it's all good. Um, yeah, and uh, I think this that one's a particular special movie to me in that it was sort of a movie that legitimized horror mm-hmm. in a certain way. It brought it to the mainstream. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It won Oscars. Yeah, lots and, of Oscars. And it was about a dude who was trying to make a suit out of ladies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, inspired by uh, real life Ed Gein, by the right, way. So yeah. uh, I think that's the the part that draws me is that uh, they're thrillers, but a lot of them are based on actual people, events. Yeah. 
So there's seeds of truth behind. Yeah, a lot that's of the things. scary part for me. It's not ghosts for me. It's uh, so the human psyche. Is this more your bag of movies then? Uh, yeah, for a psychological thrill. Psychological too? and zombies. Those are my those are my two biggies. <laughs> you and I would get along just. <laughs> I'm sure we would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't. I, well, I'm I'm sort of a every flavor kind of guy. Mm-hmm. There's a few things that I'm not a big fan of. Tron. Got the Tron you got the Tron Rock and you got the, I got the Dead. Revenge of the Dead going on in mind. So <clears throat> right on. But uh, I can I I will give almost any movie a shot. It, it's only until the digital age where there's been times where I'll actually it has to be a really bad movie for yeah. me to say no. I'm not watching this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I think and, there's been like maybe two or three times where I said no, I'm out. Yeah, but and there's now such an oversaturation of material that's just dropping every day, every mm-hmm. day, every day, like. If it's going to kill your evening to finish this one, then I will move on to yeah. somebody else's dream project. Right. Um, I'm not in love with all of the movies that we're going to talk about today, mm-hmm. but I do think that everybody involved here was er- trying to make an earnest study of madness. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a fascinating topic. I have, cinema will never run out of, you know, ingenious serial killers. No, they won't, because they'll always <laughs> exist. Uh, there is something about it. Why is it, do you think, that we like, for instance, a character like Hannibal Lecter? Uh, I think uh, he's an interesting character just because uh, uh, he is like an educated man. He's uh, oh, top tier and everything, and uh, he's just got this darkness in him. And I think that represents a bit of a darkness in all of us, really. Yeah. Uh, maybe not to his extent, but we all have a little bit of darkness. So, And just allows us to play with it a little. Yeah. He's a lot more approachable is that he's not like Leatherface mm-hmm. or Jason or someone who's just going to yeah. kill you. He's a nice guy. Yeah. And there's an aspect of weird intellectual revenge to a lot of his kills. Mm-hmm. It's like, you may not have done something so wrong as to deserve death, but yeah. you have done something that has rubbed him the wrong yes. way, that has displeased him. Free range rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's interesting because nowadays we are seeing a flood in television especially of TV shows that are based mm-hmm. around unlikable characters. Some people think Breaking Bad started it, but I would even go further back. I would say like Oz and The Sopranos, a lot of the old HBO shows, yeah. where our, our central character is kind of despicable. Yeah, he's a, he, a Soprano, Tony Soprano, he's a bad man. Yeah. He's a bad man. And and we watch his very slow descent in state mm-hmm. of television. If I'm going to have unlikable characters, I would rather it be in a two-hour package than a two or ten season package. Right, personally. exactly. Because if I'm going to invest all this time and energy in mm-hmm. it, like, I, I thought Breaking Bad was a good show, but I, I didn't watch all of it. I just got worn out. Right. I, I watch I watch it all just because I'm a, I'm a bit of a completist. completist yeah. yeah, so I'm like, all right, I'll, fi- I'll finish. But I was not the raver, yeah. raver guy that everyone was. So The day may come, but should, as a rule, uh, after I watched an episode, I felt like I needed to take a shower. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm a guy who can watch the Friday the 13th yeah. movies, or I can watch a creature feature, I can watch violence. I'm not yeah. particularly affected by it, but there's something... About the focus on the negativity yeah. that is so weird than popularized now. We have a TV show about, you know, Psycho, about mm-hmm. Norman Bates, the yep. TV show. We had Hannibal, the TV show. Yep. We, you know, Game of Thrones is the most nihilistic television oh, yeah. show totally. in history, I yep. think. Like, who do we cheer for anymore? It's interesting. It's been a sh- it's been a shift over the decades. I, yeah. I, I'm bringing this baggage into it because that was a lot in my mind when I was watching these movies. Mm-hmm. Because I think I like these a lot of these movies as a single serving dose in a way that I wouldn't. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like we were 
Yeah, if I was to watch a, a, a seven over a ten year span, I'd probably want to kill myself. Oh my god. It's such a depressing movie. <laughs> so yeah, I don't want to watch ten seasons of seven. All right. Well, uh, I think we've covered it, but I'm going to say it one more time for the cheap seats. Today on Rank and Review, uh, Rick Fair and I are going to look at David Fincher's Seven. We're going to look at a medical student thriller called Pathology. Oliver Stone's Natural Born Killers. Uh, an original for HBO film Citizen X. Stuart Gordon's Stuck. And we're going to wrap it up with the much-mentioned and much-lauded Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> Right on. Is there anything you want to say before we get this started? No, I'm good. Let's rock. County Morgue. That's the most hands-on program in the U.S. That's why I'm here. Dr. Gallo. Meet Dr. Gray. Ted comes to us top of his class from Harvard. I expect you two will get along quite well. They have the talent. There are 6.5 million people in the city. What we need is less of them and more of these. To trace any cause of death. Only come and join us. Fine. Go be with your dead people, doctor. To the dead. They have the skills. If you could kill anyone, who would you kill? I am interested in what Dr. Gray has to say. Truth is, you're all full of it. To get away with murder. Tomorrow night, just you and me. Doing what? Nothing too exciting. You killed him. Maybe. The point is, how? What is this, a game? Exactly. Yeah. All right, so uh, one of the two movies that I presented you with that you have not seen, you said, was called Pathology. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether or not to apologize to you or not, but <laughs> here we are to sit and discuss it. Right. The creative team behind this, the writers Neville Dean and Taylor, uh, sort of specialize in batshit crazy. Like, they are responsible for the Crank series. Okay. And uh, I remember seeing the first Crank movie and thinking, yeah, that's absolutely as bonkers as you can push (laughs) anything and still call yourself a sane human being. Right. And then they did Crank 2, and I was like, yeah, see, you just proved my point. Right. Never had had the privilege of seeing Crank 2, so... (laughs) Yeah. It is... Yard stupider than the first one. Okay. So you get the idea. They are they co-wrote the Jonah Hex movie. They're responsible for the second Nicolas Cage Ghost Rider right. movie. So when you're coming into pathology, especially since we're just coming off of a discussion of seven, yeah. we've got to put this in a whole different tier of movie. Definitely. This is one of these sort of exploitative, sort of erotic thrillers. Mm-hmm. It's it's a different tier. Uh, it is still a tale of madness. Yes. And it is still a tale, again, I think, where our central characters are all deeply flawed. Yep. I think uh, that's the central problem I have with the movie. If I mean, I think it's an energetically told story of this medical student who gets corrupted by this gang of super intelligent but super crazy <laughs> fellow students who have this game of uh, putting bodies in the morgue and trying to hide how they were actually killed they're basically perfecting getting away with murder yeah and as these sort of sinister games tend to things escalate no yeah so that's (laughs) that's the basic plot um my problem mainly is not so much with the acting or the execution or just my general space of wanting to care more that's i i'm on the same page i i I enjoyed the the premise of the movie was good yeah it was beautifully shot i thought the cinematography was great uh, yeah, yeah and I just I just didn't give a rat's ass about any of them. Here you can witness me destroying this poor guy's name. It is directed by a man <laughs> named Mark Scholarman. Scholarman, 
sure. it's got those little imlots. Oh, right, yeah. Schoolerman. Schoolerman. And I do think totally, totally talented. Like, you can tell people behind the camera know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. People in front of the camera are pretty. They can say their lines without tripping over their feet. Yeah. It's fine. I wanted one character that I could like, and I guess the only character in the whole movie that you're allowed to like is Alyssa Milano. See, that's part of the biggest crime for me in the movie, is they give Alyssa Milano an uninteresting part, really, and then uh, they just uh, kill her off. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm like, well, that's the biggest... I would have been much more interested if she was one of the psychopathic surgeons, to be honest. I couldn't help but think, because Alyssa Milano is such a heavily sexualized figure, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm saying anything too complicated. No, not really, no. Uh, she's almost in that neighborhood for me, is because when I was a kid, she was a kid, I kind of feel like I grew up with her. Okay, It's kind yeah. of like I, I accidentally walked into my cousin as she stepped out of the shower or something like that. I just like, You're like, I don't want to see that. No, I'm, uh, not, I'm not as into the Elizabeth Milano as a sexual item, but she is ridiculously worshipped and sexualized. And, yes. And... Uh, I, in a weird way, I can see her saying, okay, well, in this movie, I'm going to give the boys exactly what they want. Right. They're going to see everything in the most repulsive context mm-hmm. possible. Uh, we're sort of given, and I, uh, for better or for worse, it's one of the more powerful images of the entire film. Uh, we're shown what it looks like when someone basically does the opening the, incision yeah. on an autopsy. It's a, it's a bit of a, I would say, torture Porn scene, I guess but, she's dead. But it, it's, yeah, it's, it's skirting on the edge. But it's a character yeah. that we've seen, that we've <clears throat> liked. It's basically the only character, like mm-hmm. I said, in the whole movie that we like. Yep. And we see her cut open, and yep. we see like the muscles peel apart, and we see her body sort of sag as she is cut yep. open. And it is vile. It is pretty vile, yeah. And the tone of the movie is not necessarily the grim, ouch, torture poem. No. The tone, I think, wants to be closer to something like, I don't know, Fight Club, going back to Finch. Yeah, I can see that. It wants to have this sort of manic energy. Yeah, we're crazy, but we're going to tell this story so quickly and with such style that you're not going to notice how crazy and batshit everything is. So, yeah, there's positive things to be said, but what I see in this movie is potential. Yeah. And the, it doesn't come. It does, just doesn't fall. It just doesn't pop. It just doesn't come together for me. And I would watch this this filmmaker's next movie. You yeah, know, I guess I could at this point say I've seen enough of Neville Dean and Taylor that I'm not a fan. <laughs> right, <laughs> but I, I think this director could do more. I think I I definitely think so because like I said, it was a beautifully shot, uh, well constructed. Uh, acting was okay. Mm-hmm. wasn't like Oscar acting by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, it's a pretty people cast. Yeah, it's a pretty people cast. Yeah. It's a beautiful person movie. I get it. I, There's I, nobody in this movie that's just okay looking. No, Q from Star Trek is in it. Q, that's I like, love. Yeah, yeah, that was on my notes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anytime I see Q somewhere, I'm, I'm a fan. So, <laughs> so that was a bright spot. But the, um, yeah, but this is this is what I'm saying. Like, that's the most normal looking person in the entire movie. Definitely. In a lot of ways. Yeah, the regular guy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an interesting thing to exploit, I think. And I like the theme of this episode is Tales of Madness. Mm-hmm. And I often thought, I, I've known a few people who have taken some gross anatomy courses. And like, I think it takes a special type of psychology, a certain type of personality to just sort of stand at a table and pick apart a, pick human, apart a human body, even yep. for a completely, you know, educational, you know, mm-hmm. you know, there's no personal stakes in it. Like, yep. 
it's just weird to just, you know, well, Let's uh, my, friend, my friend Jen remember telling a story once saying, well, today I watched them saw off the top of a head <laughs> like a bull. Yeah. And for the first time ever, I held a human, human brain, brain in, in my hands. Hand. It's like, do I really want to do that? Yeah. I don't, I don't think I so. I think that like part of you know when you get into yeah. it that you're going to be doing that stuff. And I don't know if necessarily part of you wants it, but you have to be able to get past that. I think viscerally we're all interested by it. I, uh, my, me and my wife are, have an Instagram account, right? And uh, we follow a pathologist, right? right? Uh, we scroll through all those pictures and they, there's no holes barred there, right? right? Like you can't show a nipple on Instagram, but you can show a guy's decapitated head. I don't, yeah. I don't understand it myself, but whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so like we spent like two hours scrolling through pictures the other day. So the visceral psychology is in all of us. Would I want to do that personally? Probably not. But I think it's a good thing. Like, the thread is a good one to exploit because I think that it attracts a lot of altruistic people. Like, uh, I work with a lot of law enforcement officers, and I would say that it's true of them and likely true of a lot of doctors. It's sort of like split between people who grew up all kind of altruistic and mm-hmm. just want to help the world and think that being a doctor or a police officer is the best way to do that. Or there's the people that just like the idea of being a being doctor. Being a cop. Or, or doctor, like the yeah. idea of being a cop. Exactly. And sort of that psychology of someone who would wade into this and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. if that would change him. I kind of wish that the movie was like five or six notches less crazy. I think that maybe if instead of everybody in that yeah. class being psycho, if just maybe one, <laughs> one of guy them was, yeah. Yeah. and we had to figure out who it was, I would be connecting with it a lot more. I think maybe the, uh, the main the antagonist I don't just remember his name at the moment Kavanaugh is sort of the worst of the yeah he was the worst and he just yeah I think he went a little too far gone for me I think I I would have liked him to have a little more control yeah he was playing it just a little bit too up because you have to believe that he would be able to get away with it and people not think that he's obviously crazy yeah but you can obviously see he's got some marbles rolling around in his head right (laughs) Plus, uh, surgeons in general are ranked as the highest people for sociopathic behavior. Really? C- CEOs, surgeons, they just have this uh, nihilist—not uh, really nihilistic, but uh, feeling that the you know they're better than everyone. Okay. Right? They they because have the life the, in their hands. They work with, with such high stakes yeah. every day. Yeah, a CEO can make a decision that will affect hundreds of thousands of jobs, yeah. or a surgeon can you know slip with the blade and end yeah. someone's life. Exactly. Right? You got to be able to disassociate yourself from your actions, right? Which yeah. is uh, which is what uh, sociopaths and psychopaths are able to do. They don't feel the empathy. Yeah. toward the person so uh, taking a guy's heart out to replace it doesn't affect him the same which was probably what makes him good surgeons I'd probably want a sociopath as a surgeon <laughs> right I want calm nerves maybe there's a purpose to having sociopaths around after I, all well I think there is really <laughs> But it's interesting that how much more interesting the conversation we're having is than this movie that we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> yeah and uh, why were they smoking crack why crack yeah, of all, it was just pushing it to the limit. And I, the the main character, whose name is going to totally escape me here, Ted Gray is the main character's name. Okay. He he's got this beautiful girlfriend mm. who loves him, and he's got like he's this genius med student. He's going to end up with, you know, worst case scenario, he's going to be rich and successful yeah. over the rest of his life. Well, he's already got a job lined up with his future father-in-law, right? Yeah. We see that. We see that scene with uh, Alyssa Milano and yeah, her father. It, it's all golden. Yeah. And he is so easily, easily sucked into this evil. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if it ever used to be a thing where, like, 
we were we would absolve main characters of the sin of you know cheating yep. on their girlfriend just because oh but the girls were so hot <laughs> so like hot. he was like what was he gonna do yeah. not fuck them yeah well actually yeah <laughs> yeah yeah don't don't she's <laughs> she's the town bike everyone's everyone's riding her you and have Alyssa Milano sitting in the background. Flags everywhere mm-hmm. that you're being clearly manipulated. <laughs> yeah, you know, like and, and once they have the dirt on you, you're you're done. You're you're, you're yeah. screwed. Uh, so I didn't like the main character. Couldn't sympathize nope. with the decisions he was making. I couldn't anticipate what he was next move would be mm-hmm. because he wasn't you know looking after himself. He was one of these characters who was a slave to the screenplay. What he did made sense to keep the movie exciting, but not yeah. make sense to keep you know, common sense. Yeah, he, he needed to do things to keep the plot going, but <laughs> they didn't really make much sense in the big scheme of things. I think, Actually, I think the most uh, uh, sympathetic character would have been uh, the uh, teacher, Q. Yeah. The Q character. Because he's trying to mentor him. He's trying to pull him back. There's yeah. a couple Stay scenes where he's like... these guys. Yeah, yeah. You, you have so Every much potential. he says is true. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he just says, eh, fuck you. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to go slash some more throats. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay. It definitely is a tale of madness. You could certainly do worse, but mm-hmm. I would have a hard time getting excited recommending pathology to anyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will say the creative way that they uh, um, ended Kavanaugh Oof. at the end, that uh, gets a thumbs up. Yeah. Freezing, f- freezing his uh, body so he can't move but still feel pain and then just start going, you know. We're going to do an autopsy. Yeah. At some point during the autopsy, you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know when. We're going to find out. So have yeah. fun with that. There's some clever moments. The, the gas booby trap is well mm-hmm. done. Yep. Like, there, it's like right, the movie kind of lit up for me, but it's outclassed, I think. Oh, by definitely. The, by the movies we have around. I would agree. Anything else you want to say? Uh, nope. Pathology, you can give it a pass. <laughs> you were made it uncomfortable by all the sexuality. <laughs> by the sexuality and crack. <laughs> give it a pass. Watch the next, the director's next movie. Is my hey, Rick, I don't know you. Watch a dirty movie. <laughs> Tuesday morning. I hate this city. We're gonna get who did this. This will be the very definition of swift justice. There are two more bodies, two more victims. This guy is methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient. He's laughing at us. He had a gun. He's two murders away from completing his masterpiece. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow. Have you ever seen anything like this? No. Seven. All right, so uh, David Fincher. Very, very interesting director. He was sort of mined from into Hollywood from music videos. Um, he's got this sort of somewhat Kubrickian reputation in mm-hmm. that he will do a thousand takes to get that one take that he wants and that he can be a bit of a grumpy customer and uh, that there's a certain specificity that he demands. There's a famous story on the set of Zodiac, uh, one of the newspaper sets. He was digging around in a filing cabinet in the back room and he found you know, papers in that cabinet that were not to period and okay. threw a little tantrum. <laughs> Nowhere in the script or in the shooting list that day were they required to look inside that filing cabinet. Right. 
but Fincher needed to fucking know. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that is very impressive when I look at, uh, at Seven, even now, because uh, it came out in 1995, is that it does have the look of someone who is very specific. Very particular, yes. There's nothing accidental in any of these shots, in any of these scenes. And with the sort of loaded spring trap of the, the screenplay that we have here, um, although it's a movie that is loaded with familiar archetypes, you know, the two downtrodden detectives, mm-hmm. the rainy atmosphere, the up-and-coming newbie, and sort of the hard-worn veteran, veteran yep. uh, you know, learning and improving because of each other, all tropes that you can take from any cop movie you've ever seen. But it's elevated. It's on a different level. It's different, yeah. So uh, I've tipped my hand. I'm a fan of Seven. But I'm I here to ask well. you, <laughs> where do you land? Big on fan that? of Seven, yeah. yeah. Uh, this was the movie that sort of decided Brad Pitt for me. Yeah. In a lot of ways, like uh, I, I liked him in the past. I really liked him in this movie, California, with a K. Yep. And I'd seen him in sort of smaller roles, but I thought he was good. And then I'd see things like Legends of the Fall, and it would rub me the wrong way. Yeah, and I, mean, like, I don't want to watch this. Uh, that vampire, uh, uh, vampire movie, yep. right? Just wasn't sure. Wasn't sure where I landed on Brad Pitt. Then I saw Seven, and I was like, okay, he's a movie star. <laughs> yeah. I, w- I would agree with that. It was I was definitely not a fan beforehand. Like I said, California California with uh, David Duchovny. Yeah. You know, a great movie. And But uh, for me, it was Seven. I don't yeah. think he's stopped it since, really, in my mind. <laughs> he's been in some great movies, mm-hmm. yeah, but um, maybe. I'd have to think about that. <laughs> Don't don't hold me to it. I but won't hold you. For the moment, I will agree with you. Yeah, um, you could you could hold me to it. It's all good. Did you see this in the theater? Did you have that privilege? Seven. Uh, yeah, I did see seven in the theater. As a matter of so, fact, so uh, it's pretty common knowledge now. But at the time we watched it, I had no idea Kevin Spacey was in the movie. Nope. Uh, they didn't include his name in the opening credit mm-hmm. scroll. Uh, John C. McGinley, which was genius, by the yeah, way, yeah, was well played. Yeah, John C. McGinley is heavily featured in the opening credit sequence, which could, have, if you know, mm-hmm. you're looking for who could the killer be. Yeah, John C. McGinley is a really great character actor, regular of Oliver Stone's catalog. Um, so you thought maybe it would be him, but no, McGinley sort of is the head of the the. the Squad that sort of kicks down the yep. doors. He spends most of the movie wearing a gas mask. Yeah. We hear a lot of his dialogue, <laughs> yeah. but we don't see very Which much. Which is a good touch, actually. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and well done. But when Kevin Spacey walks uh, into yep. the police precinct and turns himself in. <laughs> yep. Detective. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is where the movie really goes really to the next starts. level. It kickstarts it. Yeah. Until now, it's just been a procedural. A mm-hmm. very, very good procedural. But mm-hmm. when... Our killer turns himself into the police, and uh, you know, will seems to willingly give up this game. Yeah, that's when everything goes okay. What now? What well, everything's turned over on its head, right? Yeah, like you're you're not used to seeing the killer, you know, turn himself in. You're used to seeing them hunt him down and kill him, right? Yeah, like that. So this is a totally different uh, take on it. So I'm going to just do a quick service to the plot, really quickly. Yeah, I can do it. Uh, Brad Pitt has sort of proudly been moved to the toughest precinct in New York, and he, I think it's New York, right? Yep. And uh, he can't wait to get his hands dirty, and he meets Somerset, played by Morgan Freeman, who's on his way out, and is going to sort of try to adjust him to this world that he is so embracing. The world that Brad Pitt's keen to embrace is the world that Morgan Freeman's character cannot wait to escape. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can sort of see the years of damage this world in his, in his face. So we sort of see the old dog, new dog dynamic as they investigate these series of homicides, which seem clearly to be based on the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. 
a person who is greedy is bled out. A, a person who is vain is made to make a decision about whether to stay alive or be, be ugly, ugly. Yeah. Or, or die and you know, not have to live with disfigurement. Uh, sort of moralizing, ingenious serial killer. That's where we start. And if you're just reading the back of the box, I can see a lot of people saying, I've seen that movie before, putting it down. No, you haven't. (laughs) (laughs) You have not seen this movie before. No, uh, definitely. I think the... The part that really got it for one of the parts that really got it for me was when they were going through his stuff and they found just the myriad of notebooks yeah. of just his this notes, no dates, no nothing, just uh, his mind poured out on paper and it's just bizarre. You just cry for the production designers. Yeah, yeah. Because you know some dude had, had to, to write fill every those single books. one. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't because you know he didn't want an empty notebook on that shelf. Absolutely not. Nope. It's the same thing. If you, it always goes back to The Shining for me. But the all work and no flame makes <laughs> Jack a dull boy. Yeah. Somebody had to type out all of those lines because mm-hmm. someone they were using that footage and each page yep. needed to be a little bit a different. little different. There was no photocopying there, no. <laughs> right? Oh, the glory of film. <laughs> <laughs> Kubrick is a bastard. Um, Arlie Ermey sort of has a supporting role as sort of the their commander in chief, the man mm-hmm. sort of running the their corner of the investigation. Always love that actor, and I always love seeing him playing the non-drill sergeant role because yeah. we associate him as that yeah. Sergeant Hartman from Full, Full Metal, Metal Jacket. Jacket. He's yeah. just that guy, yeah. and I love him here as yep. this world-weary guy and, and he, calling the little, shots. And you yeah. believe him? You yeah, believe you him. do. He's a bit like Somerset that way. He's yeah. a bit downtrodden. He talks about a murder that happened uh, four blocks from the precinct, and he didn't know about it. He read about it in the paper, right? Yeah. So you think like the. You know, chief of police would know about a murder happened four blocks away, but he had to read it, read it in the paper, right? Yeah, and there's so many of those that had come across his desk that mm-hmm. it was just another one. Yep. And it is a nihilistic movie, you know, uh, and uh, that tone is set very early. The the dark sort of mm-hmm. blues and, and grays throughout this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman are wet the whole movie. The whole it movie is wet like... and miserable, <laughs> which is just how the director wanted them, I'm sure. It's amazing to me that a movie that was so much about, it seemed for the first hour, about procedural. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, and at the time, I thought, you're perfecting this procedural. This is as good a procedural as I've ever seen. Yep. I only was thinking that because I hadn't seen Zodiac yet. Right. But, uh, <laughs> at, at that point, I was like, this is great. But then, like I said, it's all upended because they never do catch the man. No, nope, they don't. Not by any legitimate means. The closest nope. they get to him is it's- through... Bending the breaking the rules. Breaking the rules. Frankly. They didn't bend. They yeah, broke. They them. just yeah. frankly broke the rules, and they had to, you know, <laughs> you know, break even further rules to yeah. cover their ass about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the nihilism goes through to the fact that they weren't close to catching no. John Doe. John Doe turns himself in, and that is the moment. I think that is the moment that the movie goes from being a really good sort of standard serial killer thriller mm-hmm. to something kind of exceptional something different something new yeah uh, at the time you know kevin spacey was in the middle of this incredible yeah. hot streak just yeah. everything he did seemed to be gold you know usual suspects in, in of seven and swimming with sharks and uh, you know he was just uh, a hit machine and um to have him and keep him in the back pocket for this movie for the, all uh, like a half over half the movie probably yeah. right and once he shows up, it could be one of those scenes like he, he's basically giving a Bond villain speech mm-hmm. for the last half an hour of this <laughs> yeah, movie. Like pretty he, much, yeah. If he had a beard, he'd be stroking it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> give, him, give him a cat to fit his lap. <laughs> totally. 
And if the stakes hadn't been set so well, and you know the the sort of dark tone hadn't been set so well, we could be laughing at him, but we're not. Laughing no, it's at him. Uh, it's there's not really a point in the movie where you really want to laugh. Yeah. Um, question. Yeah. What do you feel about Gwyneth Paltrow? I thought she was good. Yeah. I thought she was good in it. Yeah, she was believable. Uh, the scene where she uh, uh, told Somerset where she was pregnant. Yeah. I think that was a key scene. In the whole thing, and I think it really set her character up for the ending. <laughs> I, I can't take credit for this. I didn't actually notice it, but I'd, uh, I watched a documentary on, on Fincher, and, and he chose very specifically how he was going to frame her. Okay. In in the movie, and you almost always just see her head. That's true. I know. So, and if it's just a shot of Gwyneth Paltrow, if it's not like multiple yeah. people in frame, you're just looking at her head. Yeah, I think you're right. I think even when she's in the kitchen, I think there's like a, a banister or something in front, and you only <laughs> yeah. see the the upper part. Yeah, I think you're right. It's a, it's an interesting well, conscious right. choice, and when we yeah. go and we it's we're safe for spoilers here, mm-hmm. so you can feel free to talk about okay. it. But considering her fate, <laughs> that is an interesting uh, choice. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too because I didn't notice it. I don't know if that was something that was just for Fincher, or if it was something that a more savvy person would have picked up. On I don't know, <laughs> but it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, of course, Paltrow and Brad Pitt were together at the time, yep. so this makes this movie probably a heartbreaking thing for both of them <laughs> to watch in this stage of their lives. Um, the movie works, uh, and like I said, it's just full left and right. Richard Schiff shows up in a supporting role mm-hmm. as the lawyer of John Doe, yep. which is a really implacable thing to play because yep. you're defending a monster. But yeah, he knows. He, he You can totally tell. He, yeah. he doesn't really look like he wants to be there. Yeah. Right? And it's so often played as, like, this is my job and I'm okay with it. Yeah. And it was kind of refreshing to see the lawyer, this is my job and I'm not okay doing with this my at job. all. But here it is. Yeah, some Do what people you want. have jobs that they don't like and mm-hmm. right now my job is to defend this guy. This guy. Yeah. So, you know, great attention to detail. Um, I would encourage anyone and everyone to watch Seven again and again. Definitely. Uh, do you want to get into the ending? Is there anything you specifically want to? I'm always, I've always been a big fan of the bad guys winning at the end to a certain <laughs> extent. I can't help it; it's a thing for me. So, yeah. uh, but the first, the first time I saw it, it was uh, I. I can usually see endings coming. Yeah, because I, I, I'm that kind of guy. I want to try working it out as I go, but didn't see that coming. Yeah, so. Well done. It's interesting. I am a broken record because I'm something that will say again and again and again in movies that I like. I will say, cut the romantic story out mm-hmm. of it. I don't care about him going home or about how he's neglecting his wife yeah. for this case. Like, I don't want that scene. No. I never want that scene. <laughs> right? And this movie was seen very specific, like I said, in all of its choices. So mm-hmm. why were we spending so much time mm-hmm. showing this vulnerable, delicate, needy, Wife, wife, yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow. Well, when there's she a was very clear reason yeah. for it because she was didn't really fit into the story, no. right? Until her, her head fit in a box, yeah. <laughs> right? She was the one voice of optimism in yeah. an nihilistic world, and as a consequence, her head ends up in a box. Yep. And uh, the villain not only wins, but he kind of destroys Joys the it. Brad Pitt yep. character. Yep. Uh, I'm of the opinion that the Brad Pitt character would likely not spend a day in jail. <laughs> Probably not. For he, killing this guy? He would probably spend some time in he, uh, some psychiatric institution for a time, and then he would he's be... He's done being a cop. 
And he probably yep. gets a timeout in a psychiatric institute. Definitely. Absolutely. But, but I don't think he does jail no, time either. He's not going to jail. I think that's what you call temporary insanity. <laughs> it's the definition yeah, of that. Totally. Anybody on the radio <clears throat> listening to it. But it was something that was genuinely shocking. And it was something mm-hmm. that for a lot of people lost the movie for yep. them. Like, they know how these movies are going to end. Like yep. I said, if you were in the video store, which I realize don't exist anymore, <laughs> and you were looking at the back of the box telling yourself, I've seen Seven before, you haven't. Nope. And you haven't because it's not just that the bad guy gets away, mm-hmm. it's that he is victorious. Yeah, he doesn't only get away, he gets released, and yeah. he's victorious, and he's destroyed everything and everyone around him that yeah. he wanted to. His just, plan was executed to as perfect a uh, way as he would yep. have ever hoped. Yep. As he would ever hope. <laughs> and I still can't see a box without going, what's in the box? What's in the box? box? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I love the movie. Um, I hope that uh, nobody listening to this has just had a spoiler <laughs> because I will put a very special spoiler warning at the beginning of this episode. Oh, that's good, because there are people who haven't seen it. Yeah. I know it's hard to believe, but there are. There are. And it's different. You yeah. know, if I'm talking spoilers about Halloween 4, people yeah. give less fucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's Halloween 4, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. no, he goes around chomping oh, people. You mean yeah. Michael Myers kills people? <laughs> yeah. okay, no. Got it. This is How dare different. you? <laughs> this is a little different. Yeah. And uh, yeah, John Doe as a, as a figure of evil and as a villain. Mm-hmm. I think John, the naming him John Doe was another nice touch. You never know his name. No fingerprints, no, no nothing. nothing. He cuts off the end of his fingers. He's yep. just like, yeah, dark. Enjoy Seven. Definitely. Platoon. Wall Street. Born on the 4th of July. JFK. Oliver Stone's vision has changed the way we saw our past. Now, he takes a look at where we are, and where we're going, and you'll be shocked at what he sees. controversial filmmaker we shall talk about mm-hmm. now, Mr. Oliver Stone. Uh, he's an interesting fellow. Um, he makes divisive films. Yeah, you, you, you're on one side of the fence or other with his films. There's yeah. not much middle ground, yeah. When this movie came out, Natural Born Killers, I remember just being super excited. This was right in the sort of heyday of Quentin Tarantino fever. Yep. He had a, originally a credit on the screenplay, but that got changed to a story credit. Uh, so it's now a story by Quentin oh, Tarantino, screenplay by Oliver ah, Stone, okay. blah, 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 blah. Um, so we have Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis sort of playing Mickey and Mallory, mm-hmm. going on this cross-country sort of crime spree. And uh, <clears throat> the whole movie is this fever dream dissertation on the media and on violence. Mm-hmm. And it's this like crazy fever dream collage. It is yelling at you. It is you know. It is teaching you things. And uh, I remember you know I saw it opening weekend and I stumbled out at the theater, <laughs> and I honestly didn't know what I thought. I was. Uh, it, it, it was like this was maybe just not the movie I wanted it to be, right. or or what was this? You just was, never seen anything like it. Yeah. You didn't know what to think of it. This wasn't Pulp Fiction too. Nope. This wasn't Reservoir Dogs. I was sort of lost and in a daze. Mm-hmm. 
I could latch on to things that I knew that I did like, like Woody Harrelson, Woody and, Harrelson. and Robert Downey Jr. Yep. memorably giving I think two of their better performances of their career. I would agree with that personally yep. in this movie. But I have a hard time reconciling the style, the violence, and the themes. And I don't think I'm alone. Uh, it's so, interesting uh, you say that because I'm on the same page. Okay. Yeah, because I thought this is where we were going to disagree. Because everyone, everyone's all, oh, natural born killers, natural yeah. born killers. But I'm not, I'm not of that ilk. Okay. So, so we're closer to the same page. Yeah. It's a movie that I want to like. Mm-hmm. I just don't. <laughs> like you said, there's interesting parts. It's well acted, well shot, well, well everything. I just, uh, I don't like it how it tries to hit you over the head with uh, the sensationalism of the of violence in the media and stuff like that. Uh, we know that. I don't know if they expected it to change anything, because it clearly hasn't, right? So I don't know what he was expecting to get out of it. Any statement that he was making as far as sort of our numbness to the media or how much of a punchline, you know, suffering has become mm-hmm. was accomplished by the Rodney Dangerfield sitcom sequence. <laughs> Definitely. And that was like one of the first sequences of the movie. Yeah. Uh, there is a broken reality. There is, you know, red light spills on people's faces. Mm-hmm. There's cuts with animation in it. They're constantly reminding you that you're in the movie, that you're yeah. part of this media storm. And there's the canned laughter when he's groping his daughter. Absolutely. Just, they're very distasteful, right? I think for me, and I've watched it, like I've watched it several times. I'll revisit it every every now and then, trying to catch up with everyone else who tells mm-hmm. me that it's an amazing movie. Mm-hmm. And I finally kind of arrived to this place where I think the movie is hypocritical. Mm. I think that this movie is condemning us for loving violence, but telling us to love this movie. But at the same time, the only thing compelling us to keep watching one scene to the next. Is this the violence. ridiculous violence? Yeah. Now, and I can see Oliver Stone leaning back in his chair saying, Oh, hell yes, clever me, clever me. <laughs> but I sit back in my chair and say, No, fuck you. Fuck you. Clever us for yeah. figuring if it out. You're going to make a grungy, dirty, crime noir mm-hmm. movie that Quentin Tarantino clearly wrote, where Mickey and Mallory are sort of some sort of fucked up backwards anti heroes. type characters, right? Just make that movie. Yep. Yeah. And if you're going to make a movie about how the <clears throat> media will spin evil into something that's palatable and even, you know, worthy of a t-shirt yeah. to go back to seven, you know, yeah, uh, then do that. And you don't even have to do that nowadays. All you have to do is turn on the TV. Yeah. Right? It's right there for you. It's already done. In fact, you may have helped it. So, thanks. <laughs> Generally speaking, if you're going to yell at me, and this movie is yelling at me, have a point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it yells at you, it beats you over the head through the whole movie, and at the end, just, you, you just feel kind of empty. Media is bad, violence is bad, bad, people are bad, credits. Yep. Oh, and the bad guys get away. This is what, one of the movies where the bad guys win, and I didn't care for it. So. Yeah. Which is... Uh, which goes and gets the grain for me. So well, to me, it just seemed like they get to their next inevitable chapter. Sooner, mm-hmm. sooner or later, Mickey and Valerie die in a hail of bullets, and all that does is raise their star another level. Yeah, yep. you know, even when they they, they lose, they win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <know>? exactly. <laughs> uh, but again, I feel like I've been a little bit savage to it too, because there are great moments. I do think, like 
Woody Harrelson has come a long way, you know, from, from Woody from Cheers. Woody from uh, Cheers, yep. And this movie is a big part of that. And, and uh, I do think he's a very strong actor. He's got, like, amazing supporting work in, like, No Country for Old I, I always love his work. Yeah. Like, every time I see him in a movie, I'm like, all oh, right, on, oh, Woody Harrelson. I don't watch a movie for Woody Harrelson, but I always enjoy it when he's in it. There's, like, a short film in this movie when they get to the prison. The prison, yeah. And Robert Downey Jr., who's sort of playing a Morton Downey Jr., sort of <laughs> crossed with some sleazy British... Yeah, tabloid, tabloid guy, dude. yeah, yeah. Very well. Uh, but, like, this interview that the two have with them, I think both of them are just amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think for the first time in the whole movie that now we've calmed down and we've actually started to tell and, a story. Yeah, now we can actually see what's going on. Yeah. And it's that sequence, the horror, as crazy as it gets, with the prison riots and the you know Tommy Lee Jones the car- howling, the caricature of Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, that that is still crazy, it's still ridiculous, and the violence gets to a whole next level thing. Mm-hmm. But at that point in the movie, I started to fully engage. But that point of the movie is like almost two hours into this two and a half yeah. hour movie, and that, to my money, is too long. I agree. <laughs> yeah. What uh, do you think of Juliet Lewis? I, I really I like Juliet Lewis. I, I I loved her in um, Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, uh, great. I don't think she was perhaps the right person for this role. <laughs> She's an interesting choice, definitely. Uh, she wasn't bad. There's something kind of make fun ofable about mm-hmm. her. I go. We we keep going bumping into other movies here, but I talk about California. She's, California? She plays the supporting role in California, yeah. where she's so, so stupid mm-hmm. as to almost be on the level of mentally ill, you know? Like, yep. she's a child, essentially. And it's that same character, it seems, highly sexualized, and with this very much mm-hmm. getting off on violence. Yep. Like, tying sex and violence explicitly through her character. Yeah. Um, I don't see Juliet Lewis as a any kind of sex symbol to me though. No, I just don't see it that way. No, uh, and I don't know. I don't. I mean, it's it's hard for me to say like they should have gone this way with it or who, what would it have been like with someone yeah. else. But the fact that we're having that conversation maybe says something. Yeah, maybe. I can't imagine who else other than Woody Harrelson would have given us that performance. I thought he was great. Yeah, the scene where he shaved his head before uh, the interview. Thought that was uh, thought that was well done. Yeah. So uh, but, Robert Downey Jr. Of course. Awesome. When he's, <laughs> As not, usual. when he's not coked out of his head anyway. Well, and he would have still probably been coked <laughs> probably out of his was, head yeah. in this, this time frame. I guess. But uh, I think that he latched onto a character. So many roles around this time in the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. No matter what the movie was, you know, Shortcuts, Richard III's, whatever. He was playing it quirky. Mm-hmm. He had this manic energy. Yeah. Because he was just probably. full of manic energy. <laughs> exactly. He probably couldn't help himself, yeah. right? Uh, I will say that I, I, I don't see him Jones in his way through this performance. No. I think that this is one of those roles where you could say this was evidence as to why Downey Jr. was a talent worth waiting for. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. Yep. <laughs> and he, he was a talent worth waiting for because it yeah. took him a long time. From, and, uh, yeah. He's like this, like I said, this Jerry Springer type of figure, and he is so awful and so willing to exploit crime to mm-hmm. his own ends and so despicable. And yet. When it comes to the point where he is facing his own demise and knowing it, mm-hmm. I can't help but feel a little sorry for Just him. a little bit. Dad, there's a little bit of, of sympathy for him. Yeah. Not a great deal, but a little bit. 
what I don't connect to is this sort of self-aggrandizing of the Mickey and Mallory characters. Like, the fact that they believe their own press, the fact that they don't know mm-hmm. that it's a stupid circus, that they're getting everything wrong, mm-hmm. kind of takes away their power a little bit, too. Yeah, because it's not really their story anymore. It's no. the story that's being spinned about them. Yeah. Right? And they're willing, like, who they will kill and who they won't. Yeah. Well, there's that moment where he feels bad about uh, killing the old Indian fella, right? And that just makes me shake yeah. my head, really. Yeah. <laughs> you killed a restaurant full of people who yeah. were guilty of nothing other than stopping in for a slice of pie. Yeah. But shooting this one guy, he, like he he tried to help you and you lashed out in a momentary sort of burst of anger and killed him. But like, yeah. all of a sudden you have a conscience. All of a sudden we're supposed to like sympathize with you. All of a sudden you have a heart. No. No, I don't. That does I'm not, not buy. I'm not buying that at all. At all. I could buy her feeling bad for yeah. it, perhaps. Right. Which, which she does. Yeah. She was very angry with him for uh, for killing him. But I don't buy him feeling bad for it. Yeah. Um, I will give it points. There was one thing, there's an ugly sort of subplot where uh, Mickey Mouse, it's not all love and roses with Mickey mm-hmm. Mallory. Like, things, they fight. Mm-hmm. And in which case, uh, Mickey is not above picking up uh, a female hostage yep. and raping and murdering her. And giving that scene, as ugly as it was, and usually the type of stuff that I don't particularly look forward to in movies, is another way of not letting them off the hook, of not making them heroes. Right. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. But, I don't know. Like, there's just so much. Animated sequence. Leonard Cohen on the soundtrack. (laughs) Tom Sizemore getting his nipples squeezed. (laughs) Oh, man. Tommy Lee Jones screaming at the top. I almost forgot about the nipple squeeze. Yeah. Yeah. Balthazar Jagetti being shot for not giving good oral sex. Like, <laughs> you are just constantly being obliterated by images and, again, being yelled at. I don't mind being taught, but this mm-hmm. is a strict schoolmaster, and <laughs> I don't think he's got a clear course or a rationale. He's just saying, media bad, yeah. violence bad, media bad, violence, violence bad. bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's his way or the highway, yeah. right? It's like, this is the way it is, that's it. Not too long ago, I talked about... His best picture winning. And I think, to a degree, I'd have to watch all the movies of that year, but to a degree, deservedly so, Platoon. Mm -hmm. Which was, uh, by contrast, a very composed study of war and violence and hell. So it stings a little bit more because I know that he's capable of telling an incredible story. Platoon was an outstanding movie. It really is. It really is. But uh, not so with Natural Born Killers. A lot of people consider this as high tentpole. A lot of people yeah, love I know. the natural born killers, yeah. and I might get some hate over this. <laughs> well, I'll probably get some hate too. I'm sure there's a lot of my <laughs> friends and family who might listen to this to go, "Oh, Rick, you're fucking not. You're wrong." I will say that there's enough interesting in it that it's probably worth a look, but I can't honestly say that I liked it. Yeah, I don't think you're gonna get anything out of it. I didn't. Some good performances, some cool moments. Yeah, I don't feel. I, some I don't, questions. If I never saw that movie, it wouldn't. Uh, my life would never be any different. Yeah. Right? There's movies that affect your life, right? Like, it affected me to the degree, like I said, that I do come back to it, that I have revisited it. Mm-hmm. Like, I may not have owned it. I kind of inherited this with my dad's movie collection. Okay. He passed away, so we kind of. Uh, I'm sure that sooner or later I was going to bump into the movie again. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, it's like, I hear so many people tell me what an amazing movie this <laughs> yeah. is. Oh, Natural Born like, Killers, Natural Born I, Killers. I wish I could be excited about yeah. it. And I usually don't say anything. I'm yeah. usually just, I'm just going to keep, keep it my mouth. Yeah, I just, I'd keep my mouth shut. And... Let's, let's pick our battles. <laughs> yeah. Now, if we start talking shit about Tremors, then, it's then gonna we have a problem. Real. It's going to get real. <laughs> Tremors 2 or 3, maybe. <laughs> 
as many as 17 stab wounds to the face and eyes. 52 victims. 32 stab wounds with additional disfigurement. One killer. Of a nature that suggests not so much a sharp instrument. This is the story of the world's most deadly, most prolific, and most evasive serial killer in history. There's another body in the woods. This is the true life story of the hunt for Citizen X. From every piece of garbage within 200 yards of here checked out. For fingerprints and fibers and bodily fluids. Every can, every bottle, you understand me? We're gonna fail. It won't be because of something we left undone. So you, you lucky fellow, have uh, not one but two movies starring Dreamboat Stephen Ray. You betcha. <laughs> Hotty toddy. What a mug on this guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's a character actor. He, he's got the saddest sort of droopy dog eyes yeah. in the business. Uh, I do think that he's a good actor, right? yeah. and uh, you know you you got to sort of choose how you how you pick you know where you're mm-hmm. gonna put him. But I like the man. I think one of the many very chilling things about Citizen X is that a it's kind of underseen, and I think that it's a really good movie that people mm-hmm. need to find definitely, and that be the story told about the serial killer Chiquelto, Chikatilo. Chikatilo, yeah. and his over 50 victims, most of which were children, yeah. is true. It's chillingly true, and it's actually the mo- uh, um, a bit of a serial killer. I wouldn't say fanatic, but <laughs> I read up on them. True crime fan. Yeah, true yeah. crime fan. So I've read up a lot on Citizen Chikatilo, mm-hmm. and uh, it's very accurate to the real-life story, which is... Horrifying. By all accounts, it's a Coles note sort of version of what happened. Yeah. The uh, people who were in charge changed a lot over the years, mm-hmm. and in this movie, they kind of streamline it. It's usually the same three people that this guy has to account to. But yep. Basically, he's a medical investigator, and they keep finding bodies of children in this forest, and he wants to find the killer responsible. But this is Cold War, you know. Russia. Russia. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they want to be careful how things appear. And according Serial to... Serial killers are a decadent Western phenomenon. Yeah. And <laughs> it's funny to hear that line said, especially by Yas Ackland, the villain from Lethal Weapon yeah. 2. Uh, he's just like, like a guy born to be a, born, a Bond villain. He's got that villainous <laughs> yeah. face, right? Um, but... It's it's you can't laugh at it because it's true. Mm-hmm. And what we see through this story is that the investigation is actively impeded in the interest of violating the rights of gypsies and homosexuals mm-hmm. yep. because they refuse to admit that serial killers could even exist. Exist. It even exist, yeah. And the the collateral damage to the left and right of this is devastating. Yeah, it's extensive and deep, right? Uh, I gotta say, this movie, it, it was made by HBO sort of early in their uh, original programming years, mm-hmm. 1995. I think that they came up with as an engaging, as a potent thriller as I've seen anywhere on the big screen. I would totally agree. Uh, this one kind of fell in my lap. I was, it was a video store pick. We were talking about video stores that no longer exist. Once upon a time. Once upon right? a time, yeah. <laughs> and uh, just the, the shelves were empty that day, and that one was sitting on it. And I'm like, ah, oh, all right, I'll give it a watch. And that was it. I was hooked. It like, knocks, I had to have it. It just knocks you over, yeah. right? Yep. Now, one of the people that I also want to talk about in this movie, oh, my God, Jeffrey DeMunn, who plays Chikatilo himself, mm-hmm. Uh, Walking Dead's fans will recognize him from the first two seasons mm-hmm. of The Walking Dead. 
it's a great performance, and that actor, I think, really delivers, because he typically runs on a charm. He usually played as that likable guy who yeah. delivers exposition and then gets killed off. <laughs> he's or, not likable in this movie. Or, or, he's broken, he's yep. fragile, you could sort of see where this evil comes from. Yep. But... The portrayal is utterly chilly. Oh, yeah. And, and the worst part is he looks a little like Mr. Dress-Up. Mr. Dress-Up. Yeah. Doesn't I, I, he? There's something very innocent. Like yeah. You, I think, I don't know if that was part of the casting, too, but you trust <clears throat> this face. Yeah. Until you know what's behind that face. Yeah. You like, feel a little sorry for that face, right? You're like, oh, look at that poor guy. He, he looks, looks like a, a school lonely. teacher having yeah. a bad day. And he was a school teacher. Exactly. <laughs> and he had some pretty bad days. So he's used to talking to children. Yeah. So he knows how to talk to and manipulate children. Yep. So he is able over this was a ten year period almost. Uh, yeah, it's uh, probably t- nine, ten years. Yeah, I think it was yeah. like seventy eight to 80, 88, 89 when the wall came down, right? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. at the yeah. time Stephen Ray was a bit of a name because of the popularity of Neil Jordan's movie, The Crying Game. Crying Game. Yeah. But HBO dropped some cash and did some sort of you know flash casting, mm-hmm. and they got Donald Sutherland. And they got Max von Sydow. I love Max von Sydow. Love both of those yeah. actors. I would just listen to those Their two voices guys all the time. Yeah. yeah totally. And Sutherland's character is sort of the one guy who's, you know, working with the brass that mm-hmm. seems to really genuinely be on the on our protagonist's side, side. Yeah. And is working like hell to make things work for as the much as he out. could, right? Because uh, he couldn't go too far, otherwise yeah. he would have been out, and then but, he would have been uh, our main protagonist would have been all on his own. But basically, right? what it amounts to, for the most part, is making sure that he's able to keep his job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's a uh, right Cold War Russia. It's a uh, watch my ass first, then yeah. I'll worry about yours, right? Yeah. And you definitely see it with his. Yeah. And what we see in the Max von Sydow character is sort of <clears throat> Russia's sort of first steps in the the. the science of psychological profiling where you have this guy who's given all the ingredients of this case of this (laughs) scenario except for the person responsible and from that map from all of these years from all of these crime Mm -hmm. scenes develops almost out of the air just out of intuitively really a psychological profile what kind of mindset does this yeah and when he gets his interview with Chikatilo, he's one of the first thing he says is that he's very, he's incredibly nervous. Yeah. And it's interesting. This is like, are you scared to be talking to a killer? Are you nervous <laughs> because you want to know how close you got on your psychological right. profile? Yeah. This is, this, it's played so well. It it's is. played so well. But, and he's definitely nervous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the line that was really good for him was, uh, um, to be a psychologist in Cold War Russia is to be an expert in paranoia. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it is, right? The the interview he has, he has with Chikatilo, and he just reads out, goes on and on and just reads out his profile. Doesn't even ask was, questions. Yeah, just brilliant. It was yeah. like, that's the perfect way. And you just think, oh, how's that going to work? But it, uh, it worked like a charm. That's exactly what he did. He was just unspooling rope. Yeah. He was going to give this guy all the rope he needed mm-hmm. to hang himself. Yeah. Uh, all, even a nod would have done it but mm-hmm. I, and I think that what really works is that he, to be understood I think would be such a relief to chickens I know right? at this point he's just he's just got to be bubbling over I can't imagine the kind of pressure that would put on a person 
to have that in you. In a way, it seems more composed than the actual footage. I've seen some footage of mm -hmm. him from the trial, and yep. he just seems like a frothing lunatic in the in that footage. A uh, word is that he played that. He was trying to get off with insanity but, playing. A lot, of the, a lot of that uh, was him playing it up. Trying so. to save his own life. Yeah. I buy that. Uh, just there's so much fascinating about it. the psychological weight that's put on the Stephen Ray's character that almost destroys him. Mm -hmm. uh, when they find out that the Americans, when they have people in similar investigations, will shuffle them off to a different case every yeah. like six months. And when he told them that, and he apologized for it, and, and <laughs> yeah. he just broke down, and he's like, "I'm, I'm sorry." <laughs> right? You have to imagine, like if. My job, you know, there's not a lot of high stakes, and like a lot of people work in, in offices or in the yeah. service industry, and they deal with stress. But if your job is collecting the corpses of children, children. found in the woods and trying to find and who's trying doing it to use the clues left on their broken bodies mm -hmm. to find the person responsible, yeah. and years are going by and you're not stopping it, yeah. the psychological effect would have to be devastating. I couldn't imagine. Like, it's such a fascinating, fascinating movie, and it's it's sort of amazing that it took HBO to get it made. It seems mm -hmm. so hungry, maybe just because it took place in Cold War Russia. That may be something to, to do with it, it. yeah. Um, but I can't think of a lot negative to say about the movie. I, I can't think of anything. It's one of my top movies of all time, so uh, I have nothing bad to say about it. Uh, it's, uh, it's not for the faint of heart, no. right? Because it's... If you don't feel something after watching this movie, you maybe should be starring in one of these movies. But uh... there's two scenes that are in this movie that I can think pull right now that just burned into my retinas as much as any scenes from any other movies that we'll see in this list. There's a scene where this boy steps aside to to have a pee, mm -hmm. and uh, they just this stream of urine mm -hmm. unearths this skull. Yep, at and, the very opening scene. Yeah, and just that image is such a horrible. Yeah. There's nothing not horrible no, about and, that. And that's the first it's thing you like, see. Oh my god. Yeah. So and then there's a scene where uh he's in the killer. We know he's a killer, and of course the woman who's with him doesn't know. Mm -hmm. Uh makes the mistake of starting to laugh because he seems it's to have been sexual trouble dysfunction getting yeah. up and he doesn't respond with words. He nope. responds by putting a knife into Tooth. her chest. And she goes from laughing to screaming in this one shocked yep. moment. And it's just Oh, it's so chilling. And there's there's a pause right right after he sticks the blade in, where she's in shock, where she doesn't. There's laughing. There's a pause, and then they're screaming, yeah. and it's just like, oh, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's it's not a pretty scene. It's <laughs> uh, a tale of madness, and uh, for me, I think it's got a little extra weight on it just because it is a true story. Mm -hmm. uh, as much as the nightmares imagined in Seven and Silence of mm -hmm. the Lambs were, were horrifying, yeah. this one, I can't get the escape clause of saying that it's just made up by nope. some sick screenwriter. No, it's not made up. It's real life, baby. Yeah, and I think that, that makes it more horrifying. For good or ill, it's got extra mm -hmm. points because it took its facts yeah. from, the, from the real world. And they had him early on in uh, in the early '80s. They had him in custody. And they fucked up and some they, uh, testing or something. Well, the testing was uh, what it was. Uh, it came back the 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 uh, sperm sample came back different than the blood sample, right? Right. So it, later on, years later, it was uh, uh, brought to foreknowledge that they fudged the results. 
but uh, the person involved said, oh no, uh, you can have two different, trying to save their ass, saying yeah. you can have two different types of sperm and blood, which you can't, yeah. right? But that was just them covering their ass. And they had him and they let him go. You've said you've done some reading about it. Was the, do you know, is it true that they were using it as an excuse to sort of attack the homosexual oh, yes. community yep. and gypsies? It's yep. just like, oh, it's probably one of those groups that's responsible for this. And the, either way, if it's, it is or it isn't them, if you, you know, yeah, we're arrest doing, them, we're doing a public service. Yeah, we're doing a public service. And yet they actually did that. Yeah. That's which, crazy. I know, which doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> which is even scarier. Right? Any excuse. So, uh, yeah, uh, the story of uh, the boy they brought in that got hung in the sail, right. I don't know if that part was true or not. Okay. But, uh, but the, the rest of it is. Wow. Yeah. Uh, th- another great moment, I just want to bring up, the, when he's finally given enough resources so that he can actually set a, and spring a trap, mm-hmm. and he's got uniform, visible police on all these train stations except for one. Yep. The the actual day that they you know catch the guy or the ID officially who mm-hmm. the killer is, unfortunately coincides with one body, and the guy who had been there. <laughs> Did, yep. Again, I, I don't know if it's a dramatic license taken by the movie. If it is, I forgive it. Not only had he been there all day and just left to go <laughs> take yeah. a piss in the woods, but the woman that was found was related. Related to him. To him. For, uh, from what I from what I read, that was a true story. It was a, his cousin from a different village. Oh my god! Yeah, or his oh niece, my god. niece or cousin. I don't remember which one. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, he uh, happened. To, he just looked odd. Is yeah. what he said. That's why he held him up. He didn't accost anyone. He just looked odd, and that was him. It's a very, very good movie, and it's a movie that kind of a lot of people missed. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was kind of surprised when you said, yeah, I have heard of that, and I have really liked it. Because a lot of people, you know, everyone knows Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows Seven, whether they like it or not. Yeah. Everybody knows Natural Born Killers, whether they yeah. like it or not. I think that this movie is totally with worthy of mention in the same breath of those. Oh, definitely. And a lot Without of people a doubt. have not seen it. So. And it just skated, uh, skated underneath the ice yeah. somehow. HBO released it, like you said, in its infancy of being a, uh, you know, a cable TV yeah. powerhouse, right? And it just kind of just got lost in the shuffle somewhere. And uh, I'm glad I found it. <laughs> and hopefully there's somebody else who will find it now because of my podcast. Yeah, do it. Awesome movie. Cheers. Look at you. God help me. Help you with what? It's in my garage. I thought you said you hit a guy. Yeah, he's the guy. Yeah, but you, you didn't say you hit a guy and brought him home with you. You ever thought of calling 911? Take me to a hospital. Just go to sleep. What the hell happened to your car? Brandy hit something. A deer. Did you kill him? Kill him? So we've talked about Stuart Gordon in the past in the podcast a few times. He's sort of a cult figure. I don't know how you are. 80s zombies movies, mm-hmm. but he did bring us the original Reanimator. Awesome movie. <laughs> yeah. I love Herbert West. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's an interesting director. I recommend it. It's sort of, uh, it's rough hewn, but I think it's got a lot of positive qualities. This H.P. Uh, Lovecraft uh, adaptation called Dagon. Yep. He specializes in sort of low budget, crazy movies. 
Um, and he has this willingness to go places that other filmmakers won't. He's unabashed about the fact that genre cinema is about sex and violence, and that's part of what you pay for when you put your money down. And he's he's just okay with it. He's okay with it more than a lot of directors seem to be. <laughs> uh, and it's not necessarily necessarily in an, to an exploitative level. I mean, you got to go on a case-for-case case basis. basis. Yeah. But when you're watching this movie and, you know, you're getting a graphic depiction of an adult diaper being changed, as you <laughs> mentioned, or you're seeing this woman stark naked getting yep. a beat down... Mm-hmm. Even if I didn't know I was watching a Stuart Gordon movie, those moments would tell me, oh, I'm watching a Stuart Gordon movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, like I said, one of the main totes I had was uh, nothing like watching somebody get the shit cleaned out of their ass, right? Yeah. So that part sticks with you. <laughs> yeah. It makes an impression. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Uh, when you establish a moment like that early in a movie, what it does psychologically is to establish within the viewer this thing that, we're not going to hide anything yep. from you. We're going to show you everything. So this is the second movie we have, like I said, with Stephen Ray. And yes. if we thought that he was an unlucky, miserable <laughs> bastard in the previous movie, actually, no, he's probably still more unlucky in Citizen X. Probably, but, but you, you feel more for him in this the, one for the some The 24 reason. to 48 hours that is depicted in his life in this movie, uh, it starts with Stephen Ray just to unbelievable run of horrible luck. <laughs> He's been rendered jobless, he's rendered basically homeless, yep. and uh, is at the end of his tether, and it just couldn't get worse. Oh, yes, and it so can. Until he literally runs into <laughs> Mina Savari. Well, Mina Savari literally runs, it, runs into him. Technically, I suppose, yes. And he ends up stuck half in her windshield, his legs destroyed mm-hmm. by the bottom of the car, and she, instead of calling for medical attention or emergency services, drives him home. Parks the guitar in the garage, goes inside, has a nap, has a shower, and goes to work. Yeah. Such is the some, premise of Stuck. And that's that's it. That's the premise of Stuck. Yeah. Now, I called this this uh, whole episode Tales of Madness. And uh, it's interesting, and like most of these cases, we have a psycho killer. Mm-hmm. Somebody who is just run on this engine of violence where they need yep. to kill. Yes. I think that our psycho in this case is clearly not Stephen Ray. It's clearly the Mina Savari Definitely, yeah. But what's interesting, and what I think maybe should be a strike against it, but for me isn't, is that she's the killer and I don't understand her. I don't feel like the movie solves for me why she chooses to not help this Mm -hmm. man. Uh, It was a series of bad choices, but you don't really understand why she made those choices, right? Once it gets to a point, like once it's gone so long and she hasn't done anything about it, well, she sort of has to become resolved because it's gone on too long. Mm-hmm. But I want to know the why. Why, yeah. <laughs> I get initially when she ran into him and he shock. got it. Yeah, he got, yeah, exactly, shock. She was drunk. She was high, right? Yeah. So she's panicking. She's like, oh my God, I don't know what to do here. I'm going to park him in my garage, take a nap because of shock. Mm-hmm. But any, everything after that is, I don't. Just call 911 and help the guy out. But it is something specific and psychological. Like, she is 
got a rough life and a rough existence. Mm-hmm. She's a you know a, a healthcare aide, so she does literally deal with other people's shit, as we mentioned. Yeah, who just got promoted. Yeah, she's got a, a boss who's obviously really shitty. She's got a boyfriend who's obviously really shitty, mm-hmm. and uh, her prospects, even her goals, seem sort of slight, muddled. Um, but her continuing to insist on making this bad decision, and maybe I'm talking my way through it as we talk about it now, <laughs> she's in a job she doesn't like, and yep. she's with a boyfriend that on some level she knows, I think, that she can't really trust. He's a bit of a phony himself, too, we find out. Absolutely. Yeah. He's a poser. Yeah. Um, but uh, how that translates into her actually being angry to the Stephen Ray's character mm-hmm. to the point where as late in the game as he's struggling to escape she actually has the incredulity to scream at him yeah. why are you doing, doing this to me? me yeah i think it's kind of fascinating like i'm I, i'm interested in the puzzle of the movie the question of whether or not the movie solves it or answers that puzzle can sort of be the what you the, the you can take what you it. want out of it right? right i think it's a worth a look just because of those questions that mm-hmm. it asks yeah so uh, uh, that's where I land. I like it, but I like I feel like I feel like a little bit unresolved. Uh, it, yeah, it's based on a true story. Apparently, yeah. I, I didn't have a chance to read up on it. I couldn't find it online. Yeah, I, or anything, I think it's but, based on a true event. My guess yeah. is they've taken quite a bit of a little liberty. liberty with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, like you said, uh, the you don't understand her motivation for uh, not doing what needs to be done. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, yeah, I just don't understand her character. I understand everyone else's. I just don't understand hers. Uh, it's brutally rendered. And as mm-hmm. much as you can imagine as Stuart Gordon would, Stephen Ray's legs being broken and not just broken, but sort of caught up in mm-hmm. the grill of the car yeah. and having to unhook himself. Yeah. And his slow and miserable escape. Yeah. Like, even if this guy was a huge piece of shit, which yeah. is established he is he not. He is not. He is. He would be just on his side because of the physical or deal that he is put yeah and the cell phone being two inches from his from his fingertips the whole time and he can't so move because his torso's impaled on the broken glass in the windshield he's not yeah. just halfway in the car he's impaled halfway in the yeah. car right uh to be able to have to peel yourself up with the windshield taking out your guts at yeah. the same time no See, like, this is a movie that would, like, maybe be in the thriller section or, like, be... But mm-hmm. it feels almost horror movie to me just because of the visceral ick of it. Yeah. Just because of the ouch. I want to give some points to Mina Savari. I don't... I never thought she was a terrible actress, mm-hmm. but, I mean, I guess I've never been completely knocked over by her either. Right. But Mina Savari is one of these Hollywood actresses who grew up very wealthy, riding horses and, you know, <laughs> uh, in the grand estates, and who's an actress because she wanted to be an actress. Right. So she gets to be an actress because she's pretty and wealthy, you know? Uh, she quite convincingly plays a very low status character, sort of trapped in a uh, minimum wage rut that you'd think that someone like Mina Savari would find difficult to relate right. to. Right. But uh, you make a good point. She didn't find it difficult to relate to at all, I don't think. I, no. think. I think she played it well. I think that it's one of the few like fairly juicy roles that she's been offered. and I, It's kind of nice to say nice things about mm-hmm. her, because I did a review of this remake of Day of the Dead that she was in, and I was saying not nice things about her, because <laughs> she actively sucks in that movie. She does not actively suck in this movie. No. 
So, I mean, save some hope for me. Yeah. Not a fan of the cornrows, though. No, but I mean... It makes I, her a little more street, I guess, which is where her character was. Yeah, and this sort of image of strength that she's trying mm-hmm. to project. She's obviously vulnerable, and there's always sort of this weak vibrating underneath it, but yeah. she will not show it. And, like, when her boyfriend betrays her, yeah. instead of beating the shit out of her boyfriend, she beats the shit out of the, <laughs> the woman that he's with, right? Yeah. Who's, who's always pushing this stuff outward. I, it's one of those things where I feel like there's maybe something in there where I could solve the puzzle. Like, I could figure it yeah. out. But uh, I haven't yet. I think maybe she's caught in between two worlds, perhaps. Uh, she's, def- she's definitely got the, the ghetto side, right? Yeah. Where uh, she's dating a gangbanger. Um, got the cornrows going and all that stuff, right? She's in the bad part of town. But then she's also skirting the edges. She just got a promotion. Uh, she's maybe building herself up in her life, right? Trying to get to the other side, right? And that's where she kind of is with the accident. She's kind of torn between two worlds, right? Do I just get rid of this guy or do I actually help him? And she just can't do either. Yeah. But, like, if she had just called the emergency service and accidentally, you know, said there was an accident, which it was, mm-hmm. I mean, it would have been bad for her. Yeah. But... It certainly wouldn't have been as bad for her as things played out. No. I guess Uh, the madness would be temporary madness in this case. Because by the end, and I will go to spoilers, maybe I won't say implicitly what happens to her, but she does not live through the film. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the time it happens, it's a horrible, horrible fate. I do not feel for her. Nope. And I probably should, but like, it's a human being. It was was unpleasant, let's just say that. It's a human being who's meeting (laughs) a really, really bad end, but... By that point, she she had once again had the opportunity to yeah. just let this guy walk away. Yeah, but she was about and, to uh, to meet out that bad end on him. Yeah. So she it was all self inflicted. Yeah. like it was all her on self destruct. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe that's what I sort of connect to. Maybe this sort of plague of of anxiety and and depression issues that, that culturally we seem to be having now is, is that is our. our some crazy part of our psychology that does work actively against us, mm-hmm. that, that actively lines itself against our Self-defeating. Goals, self-defeating yep. voice in our heads that some people have louder than others. Some people yep. can see through it. But, uh, and I think we all have that. It's the general theme, right? We all yeah. have that little bit inside of us, that little bad bit, or if you want to call it that. Yeah. That uh, just makes us, perhaps not, not all of us clearly, but makes some people do really bad things. To make bad choices. It's it's a tiny movie. It was a, no, a low budget movie. It kind of came and went. It's eighty five minutes long. Mm-hmm. Minimal time investment. It's one of those movies that could rub people the wrong way mm-hmm. just because uh, the content in it is pretty severe. But I think that it's worth the look, and I certainly think it deserves to be included in the discussion of tales of madness. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely worth a look. It's 85 minutes. It's not very long, which is actually about perfect. Much longer. It probably wouldn't have played it out very could well. could have overstayed its welcome, yeah. considering it really is a guy trapped in a car. And you can only go so long with that, Yeah. right? Yeah. He's still stuck in his windshield, and the, uh, the peripheral characters aren't uh, interesting enough to carry another half hour. So, yeah. <laughs> But it's just another one of Stuart Gordon's sort of Quick and dirty, interesting, no budget yeah. thrillers, and uh, he's got a few of them, and uh, I'll take as many as he's going to serve. Yeah, <laughs> totally. You spook easily, Starling. Not yet, sir. He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. A killer is on the loose. Keeps him alive for three days. 
Then he shoots them, skins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. With the darkest of all minds. Just do your job, but never forget what he is. But he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. So close to the way you're gonna catch him, do you realize that? Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. You told me you don't spook easily. You call this easy, sir? Lefter's missing hand arm. Man's a raving maniac. Who knows what he'll do? So 1991 uh, was a pretty interesting year for cinema, and uh, like I said at the introduction, this movie we're talking about, The Silence of the Lambs, basically swept the Oscars that year. Mm -hmm. As far as a horror movie goes, which a lot of people would call this, it was kind of unprecedented. Uh, Jodie Foster won her second Academy Award. Anthony Hopkins won Best Actor, despite the fact that his character has like 10 minutes of screen time. Like 11 minutes of screen time for a like two-hour movie. Yeah. yeah. He's clearly a supporting role, but everybody loved it so much, mm-hmm. they just gave him the big statue yep. anyway. Uh, and there was also the flip side of the coin. The, the gay and lesbian groups around the world sort of picketed the movie because... It was yet another high-profile horror movie. One, it turns out, in a long line where the killer's sexuality is sort of portrayed as a sort of symptomatic as to what led him to becoming a killer. Right. You know, because he's confused about his homosexuality or whatever. Yeah, he decides to kill people, this. right? So it became the sort of lightning rod for that. Uh, and it's win-lose for the movie. I mean, it gave them some negative press, but it also gave it free promotion mm-hmm. and blah, blah, Any blah. press is good press. It's tricky, too, for me, because I do think it's a really good movie. Uh, And uh, as much as I can sort of agree on a basic level with what the complaints were, and Mm -hmm. that both, you know, the Hannibal Lecter character and the Buffalo Bill character have that shadow to their backstory. Yeah. Um, If shadow's not the right way to put it. But for the point of their argument, we'll put it that way. Sure. Uh, I get it, but I don't think that the movie is about that. I, I agree. I don't think it's about uh, Hannibal Lecter or Buffalo Bill. <laughs> it's about Clarice Starling. Yep. And that's what everybody seems to forget when we're talking about Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, that's the only thing they just remember Hannibal the Cannibal and Buffalo Bill, but it's uh, much more than that. Jodie Foster won her second Academy Award in a row for mm-hmm. this movie. And uh, I think that part of the big strength of Silence of the Lambs is that central character. Yep. This five foot nothing but tough as nails <laughs> yep. FBI trainee yep. who is sent in quite deliberately by Jack Crawford to interview Hannibal Lecter because he knows that Hannibal Lecter will like her yep. and want to make a connection with her and in so doing perhaps actually give some information that will help them stop this serial killer Buffalo Bill who is skinning women in an effort to make a suit for himself. It's interesting. I never, I never thought of this before, but it just dawned on me. Uh, the, the character of Clary Star- Starling being manipulated by uh, a high-ranking FBI agent to uh, 
to do something for them is very reminiscent of Dana Scully in yeah. the X-Files, having a high-ranking <laughs> FBI agent go uh, using her to uh, uh, get something done. Yeah. I never uh, never considered that before. Scully's a fair analog in yeah. that. I, I sort of see, you know, <laughs> Clarice, at least in this story, is tough as nails mm-hmm. and uncompromising and get-the-job-done yeah. hero that, that women and, and men could get behind. The Clarice Starling is the thing that I think that I have to tell everybody to embrace because in 1991, all of this was like new and amazing and we Mm -hmm. hadn't seen this sort of scale and spectacle presented into this psycho killer genre. Yeah. In 2016, we've seen it so much that if Silence of the Lambs was to come out today, it would have been laughed out of the theaters. Yeah, it, uh, but every movie since then has Signs of the Lambs to ask. It's got uh, the fingerprints to, uh, on it, absolutely. Yeah. The, the sort of ingenious serial killer, the Hannibal Lecter mold, is something that will come to again and again. Again and again, because it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what really, really serves the movie is the Clary Starling. Clary Starling and the, and the relationship she has with the men in the, in the story. Because basically, this movie is what the movie that Seven was presenting itself to be, right? Mm-hmm. It's a police procedural that ends more or less the way we expect it to. The movie completely stops for about half an hour before the last act for this sequence of Hannibal Lecter escaping. Mm-hmm. Which is great that we can leave the movie with Hannibal Lecter escape. Yep. But the interesting thing is, is that that could be a deleted scene on the DVD, and it wouldn't hurt the narrative of the story being told. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. Uh, I want that scene in the movie. I'm not saying mm-hmm. cut it. No, no, of course not. But, <laughs> but, uh, but I am saying this is just a separate mini-movie that happens adjacent to this really effective police procedural. I will say, maybe controversially, that today, the Sons of the Lambs is just less impressive than it was in 1991, just for, from use and wear, mm-hmm. because of how loud and strong yeah. its influence has been. Over, I'm not gonna take, overuse. Yeah, yeah. I'm not taking points away from it for it. I'm just saying that if you've already seen a dozen movies that were mm-hmm. photocopies of this, when you come back to it, maybe you'll sort of wonder what the fuss was about. Yeah, well, if you were to watch the Hannibal series, yeah. the TV series, exactly. before you watch Silence of the Lambs, you're probably not going to think the same thing of the movie. Exactly. Right? Because they just go way far beyond what Silence of the Lambs did on the Hannibal series. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it's all about Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Uh, Brian Cox had, of course, played Hannibal Lecter previously in Manhunter, a movie that I wasn't super kind to when I reviewed it on the podcast. I enjoyed it. So, <laughs> uh, it, it, I mean, it has its qualities, but... Yeah. Uh, a lot of people think that Brian Cox is sort of like the Hannibal Lecter. I would disagree. I actually think for me, Anthony Hopkins, Anthony Hopkins is the Hannibal, is the Hannibal Lecter. Uh, does he overplay his hand a little bit? Does he seem to be enjoying himself? A little uh, too much? Maybe. <laughs> but especially the scenes when he's in the cell, I don't mind it as much because he has so little to entertain himself. Mm-hmm. He's got this rich mind that's yep. always alive and thinking and he's got these four walls and this warden who's blandly tormenting him. <laughs> yep. So anytime Clarice Starling's even in the building, his Christmas tree is just lit Oh yeah, up, definitely. Right? So I kind of get that he's kind of excitable and performing for her. And right? he's probably actually even holding back a lot. Yeah. Right? Because you know he's chomping at the bit literally, figuratively, <laughs> however you want to call yeah. it, right? Uh, I think that the series gets worn with use as it goes on, too. I mean, uh, this is loudly the best chapter and the best film adaptation, mm-hmm. in my humble opinion. Definitely, mine counts. as well. 
the late, the more we know about Hannibal Lecter, for me, the less powerful he becomes. Yep. And the direction that take Calise starring Link's character is just so disappointing. Yep. That uh, it, it just takes the air right out of the tires of the franchise. Yeah. And uh, I can lay the blame right on Thomas Harris. That's not Hollywood fucking up a good thing. That's a good thing. That no, that was got, that was directly from the book. Yeah, it was just yep. parented to death by its own creator, yep. unfortunately. And if you read the book, Hannibal, it, it reads like almost like a screenplay for the movie. Like yeah. he was, re- he was re- writing it for a movie as opposed to writing it as a good book. It seemed like Thomas Harris was like. A, a against the fact that Clarice Starling was the sort of standout character from Silence of the Lambs. Which is funny. I think for him, the star of all of the books is Hannibal Lecter. And for me, it's not. Yeah. For for the for every movie and TV show besides Silence of the Lambs, yeah, Hannibal Lecter's the guy, right? Yeah. But that's more due to uh, uh, the viewer's yeah. input than uh, anyone else. They demanded more Hannibal. So they gave them more Hannibal. So, and if I'm going to say that, that, that Hannibal's performance might be a little bit too affected and, and not necessarily... It's theatrical, less real world. Mm-hmm. Well, I will then turn your attention to Mr. Ted Levine, mm-hmm. who plays Buffalo Bill. He's got such a fantastic voice, yep. that guy Ted Levine. It was kind of strange. It's kind of got like marble in your mouth, kind of southern drawl, a little. Almost like someone's fucking with the speed, yeah. like they're just slowing it down yeah. slightly yeah. as he's delivering it somehow. Some knob is being twisted. I always like seeing that actor, and like, uh, uh, this was the first time I remember seeing him. I'm sure he's been in lots of stuff before, but this is the first time I remember seeing him in a big movie, and he sort of stuck in my head. Pops up in movies like Heat and Heat, the, the yep. remake of The Hills Have Eyes, and he's always got that voice. Um, I think that he is utterly chilling. Yep. As, as Buffalo Bill, and as much as the attention went to Anthony Hopkins, I think a lot of people missed just how good what Ted Levine was doing. Was. And I think real world talking, I truly think this is how it's closer you know, to people, what it would look. Yeah, like. how guys like that would act, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely chilling. The 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 well scene when he's in the basement and she's screaming he's like oh yeah. right and it's just like yeah I can see somebody with not, not job crazy doing that his conscious effort to dehumanize her he refers to her as it yep and when he's yelling at instructions and he seems to be just petting his dog and not really looking at her. Yeah, rub the lotion on its skin or it, else it gets the hose again. Absolutely, yeah. a very much quoted line. But even he knows like what he's doing mm-hmm. is evil and that this is a person that's dying for his own selfish needs. But that's how but he disassociates from that. He willfully will disassociate. Mm-hmm. That's not a human being. That's 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 part of my suit. It's yeah, part of my skin that's fabric. Suit. Yeah. It's fabric. It's a means to an end, and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, a brilliantly played scene. There's a um, the, the film's very well directed. Um, I just blanked on the name. Jonathan, Jonathan Demi. Demi. Thank you. We won the Oscar yeah. for it. Um, there's a great misdirection scene where uh, we see the uh, we've got the address of the killer and yes. the FBI is breaking down the door. The SWAT yeah. team's going to kick in every window and every door simultaneously. This son of a bitch is not going in. He's going down. So we're about to take this guy down. Thank you, Clarice, for everything you do. Yep. Get us any information you can where we are. We'll, do some background information. Yeah, we'll, we'll take meet care you of back us. at the office for some champagne. Yeah. Right? And uh, we're cutting through all of these scenes, and we realize that these guys are breaking into an empty house. Yeah. And Clarice Starling is ringing, ringing the, the doorbell. doorbell. And it's oh. ringing in the basement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And 
there's this scene where Ted Levine is, you know, he's making a small talk and giving her the information mm-hmm. and trying to get her out the door where that moth flies by. Yep. And then flies away, and he sees it, and, and she, she sees, sees it. it, and they both we'll recognize them, yeah, who each who, other is. Yeah. And that moment is so brilliantly mm-hmm. handled. Like uh, for just that moment alone, the the, the the movie deserves such cred. Definitely. Let alone the classic, you know, pursuit in the darkened basement where the killer is wearing night goggles, but <laughs> yeah. poor Clarice is not. So yeah. we can see her struggling because she's never been in this basement in her life. She doesn't even know where the walls are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, he's walking so close to her, and his hands brushing, brushing her hair. Her yeah. It's so funny. creepy, man. It's creepy. And she did the right thing. Yeah. She turned and fired. Yeah. Right. The second she heard the yeah. click of the hammer, it was time to play. It was time to put some lead <laughs> into something. Yeah. <laughs> Which was great. So, and the, uh, the part of uh, the shooting the window out and having that light shining yeah. and having that that wind chime or uh, whatever it was turn around with yeah. the butterflies on it. Just and perfect. all of a sudden the sunlight breaking in. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just uh, brilliantly handled, undeniably. Mm-hmm. I will not. I'm not saying anything really bad about the Sons of the Lambs. Uh, the series does not get any better than this, is in mm-hmm. my humble opinion. It's basically all diminishing returns. From yeah, this, this is point. the top. Um, but uh, if anything, yeah, like I said off the top of the review, if you've made it to 2016 and you haven't seen Silence of the Lambs yet, I can see you walking <laughs> away. I, I, my guess is you'll still really like the movie, but you'll come away saying, really? Best picture? Yeah. Huh. That was best picture. It it best picture, actor, actress, yeah. everything, yeah, right? It, it, it killed. It killed. And yeah. it sort of you know reminded Hollywood that people do have a hunger for uh, dark stories. Mm-hmm. They're well told. First know? horror movie to ever sweep the Oscars whoever win the Oscar like a best picture there's Oscar. been a few that have been nominated The yeah. Exorcist Rosemary's <clears throat> Baby and Jaws I think notably were mm-hmm. nominated but nothing had won to the scale nothing had been embraced to the scale and nothing this dark mm-hmm. woman is being made into skin suits into skin suits and this is fully embraced by yeah. Hollywood and awards are handed out yeah. it, it it opened the door for horrors in a way that, that no other movie I think can and I think part I, of the reason is because it wasn't about the guy making the skin suits right if it was Focus just on him killing ladies. The, the, it would be totally different movie. It's not a torture porn nope. movie. It is not. It is about how the much relig- death do we see in this movie? Very little. Very little. Yep. We see basically Hannibal Lecter mm-hmm. dishing out some violence in in his escapes, yep. and we're told about violence, and we're shown the aftermath of violence. We see the uh, in the autopsy room with the dead the dead body, the dead girl with the diamond pattern out of her back. But yep. other than that. I think if someone had put a gun to my head and said, pick your favorite scene, that autopsy scene mm-hmm. would be it. It's Clarice Starling's first autopsy, mm-hmm. clearly. Yep. And Jack Crawford knows it, and he has her give dictation. Yep. So, so, so you know, you're playing with the boys. Yeah, the boys. <laughs> you're playing with the big boys. And though. she does it. She does a good job. Yep. You can tell that it's working her nerves. Like, we can see it bothering her, but yep. she's getting through but it. But she's got it through it. And this, the, the same scene where she exits, like, the, the police cop offers yeah. out. She's like, okay, guys, you've done your job. Now leave. It's her asserting her authority, right? Yeah. Which these guys have never seen before. But they I, leave. Yeah. And the last thing, then, I think that it's just important as to why the movie echoed with the consciousness of the public, especially before the sequels came out, is that much like like Halloween, 
it leaves you with the killer still mm-hmm. out there, mm-hmm. still at large. He does uh, Clarice Starling the courtesy of calling her and yeah, saying, I won't don't call worry, I'm, I'm, I'm not a threat to you. You're <laughs> yeah. way, I, I way love, too interesting. Yeah, what did <laughs> yeah. you say? The world is much, much more better interesting with place you in with you in it. Yeah. And, and the thing is that I believe him. Like, yeah. I believe him in that context. Like, uh, he has nothing against Clarice at all. Nope. At all. <laughs> and throughout the whole movie, that's... That's the reason he was talking to her, because she he found her interesting. Yeah. That was part of the relationship. Yeah. So, yeah. So good. So good. That's the one element, maybe, that they didn't sort of create at the yeah. time. This was this was sort of a horror movie thing. But we got the procedural. We got the, ah, uh, yeah, female protagonist. Yeah. And we got the killer is still out there. And if some homosexual groups got offended by the film, I apologize. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry that but... that happened. But I don't think that the movie was about that. I really don't. No. I understand the bell you're ringing because uh, due, due, due diligence, it's kind of true. Yep. Psycho, uh, Norman Bates has yep. got these, you know, mummy issues. Uh, the Leatherface who, is who, who in drag. All, and all, all those, they were all based on Ed Gein. Yeah. Norman Bates, uh, Leatherface, and, Buffalo, and Buffalo Bill. Bill yeah. Buffalo Bill was kind of a, a, a modge podge of uh, uh, Ted Bundy, yeah. Ed Gein. But you see it again and again in horror movies, mm-hmm. sleepaway camp, mm-hmm. even like some of these, like, uh, you know, they, they're forced to live a life as a different gender and it <laughs> fucked them up so bad mm-hmm. that they ended up killing. Yep. It is something that is seen a lot. It's unfortunate that they chose this movie. Yeah. I understand why, because it's high profile. But, uh, I don't think that's where the focus was, though. And so. I don't think it's where the focus no. should be. No. We've come a long way. Because really, they, if, if you really want to get down to it, they really kind of... The character of Buffalo Bill kind of wrote itself because it was based on other characters. Yeah. So they didn't really have to do much uh, as far as writing him, right? Yeah. It's not like they made up, okay, this character is going to be uh, gay, transgender, or anything. They didn't have to do that. It was ready-made. And if the movie was saying all you know, mm-hmm. serial killers uh, yeah. are homosexual, or, mm-hmm. or, or that homosexuality is some sort of telltale sign that the person might be a psychopath, then I would be here saying, yeah, that's really unfortunate. That, that sinks the ship for yeah. me. But that doesn't happen. No, that you scene don't. doesn't exist in the movie. It's just something about the killers mm-hmm. that we learn. It's not really explored. Mm-hmm. It's you, honestly I not it, a huge deal in the movie. No, and I think Hannibal talks about it for like two lines maybe about yeah. about him being a patient or a yeah. patient of his talking about him, right? And it's like two lines in the movie where they discuss his sexuality. Yeah. And then it's it's over. And then it's all people suit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's more about, yeah, is Clarice going to solve this puzzle? And uh, are we going to save this girl who is being starved at the bottom of this well? Or and is Clarice going to save herself from Hannibal being in her head? Yeah. Right? Because you know he's messing with her. All of those storylines work. Mm-hmm. So, bravo. Yep. Bravo. Rick, that's the six tales of madness that we have discussed. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. It sounded like we're quite a bit on the same page. Are you going to walk away here with a prize? What's going to happen? I don't know. I was hoping to have a little bit of a little fight going there, but yeah, we're on the same page, so which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. We'll see if our lists are the same. (laughs) We don't have to fight to make it interesting. (laughs) That's that's true. You may be right, but I'm more, more right. right. <laughs> I'm right for the right reasons. <laughs> what was your least favorite of these six movies and why? I'm going to go with Pathology. 
just because of the lack of character development and the fact that I just didn't give a shit about any of them right. except for Q. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't get to see Melissa Alyssa Milano. I'm sorry. Yeah. So that's number six for me. Number six. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, number five, I'm gonna go with Natural Born Killers. Dun, dun, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a lot of flack for that, <laughs> uh, just because of the various reasons we talked about. It was uh, both the sensationalism of uh, violence in the media, driven by sensationalism of violence in the media. Right. So, like you said, uh, you made the point of it very hypocritical. It feels and, like, and it, it does. Right? Yeah, uh, you made a good, uh, an excellent point. So, <laughs> number five is Natural Born Killers. It is. Uh, number four, going to go stuck. Enjoyable 85 minutes. Uh, nothing really terrible to say. Nothing really glowing to say. Right. Just an enjoyable 85 minutes. Some poor schlob stuck in a windshield. <laughs> uh, number three, seven. Uh, this would be tops on most of my list, but the, the two ahead of them are just uh, much better. But uh, seven, definitely top three. Uh Great movie, great acting, great directing. Everything's great about it. I have nothing bad to say about it. Right. So, uh, number two is going to be Citizen X. Uh, one of my first, next to Silence of the Lambs, it was one of my first uh, real serial killer movies that I really got into. It's really spawned my interest in serial killers, even more so than uh, Silence of the Lambs, really. Because right. it sounds like, as we were talking about, Silence of the Lambs wasn't really about the serial killers, it was about Clarice. Right. So, Citizen X is what really spearheaded my interest in the serial killer genre, I suppose you'd say. And number one, of course, Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. Uh, just uh, everything perfect about that movie. I have nothing bad to say. Well acted. All the Oscars that they got were uh, properly doled out. I don't care if he was on screen for 11 minutes. He earned that 11 minutes. And yeah. He earned that Oscar, in my opinion. I would so. maybe argue it was supporting actor. All right, that's, okay. that's okay. You're, <laughs> anyone who can carry a film for 11 minutes over two hours, <laughs> man, he deserves it. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like when uh, Denzel Washington won uh, Best Actor for Training, Training Day. Day. Yeah. And uh, Ethan Hawke was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Training Day. Yeah. When clearly Ethan Hawke was the main character, Denzel Washington was the sporting yeah. player. Like, like clear. I, I've seen that movie twice. It starts with Den, with with Ethan yeah. Hawke waking up in the morning, and it ends with him falling oh, into bed at the end. It's yeah. his training day. He's the main character. I don't know. It, but uh, the Oscars that way that year were. Yeah, I can. Well, yeah, we can. We won't delve into. If that we want to talk about all the ways the Oscars are stupid. <laughs> yeah, we have to hold another hour. Yeah, we're gonna have to just dedicate a whole episode <laughs> to the Oscars are stupid, dude. We are so close. <laughs> okay, shoot. We're so close that my heart is breaking because this is totally one of those cases where you know I, I I'm trying to shine the light on a, a, I think something that's unsung. And as a result, we've we've just just merely missed it. But all right, we'll have, have to come back again because like <laughs> we seem to be in a similar wave. All right, I'll right. be back. Uh, in in sixth position, yes, pathology. Uh, I don't know what to say now that I didn't say during the review. It is full of potential. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's anything wrong with the actors. They're doing exactly what's asked of them. Um, the screenplay writers, Neveldine and Taylor, sort of deal in exploitation cinema, and that is what this is. I've seen 
much better exploitation cinema. But this isn't terrible. It's certainly not boring. It's just outclassed by everything else in this list by a wide margin. By a wide margin, yeah. Even my controversially putting number five being natural born. Oh, look at that! Where we're agreeing, which some people would shake their heads. And I, I don't think I would argue that it's that. Pathology was a better movie than Natural Born Killers. I mean, at least Natural Born Killers was trying to be something. (laughs) Yeah. I would argue that maybe it fails to be more than a piece of sort of flashy (laughs) violence. Yep. Which is kind of too bad because it seems to be criticizing flashy, empty violence. But (laughs) Uh, it's tough. Uh, It's tough. Um, I'm sorry, Oliver Stones, but but, but not this time. Not this time. I'm once again in agreement with you. All right. Stuck. Uh, and this is this little indie that could. And uh, I, you know, in this list of movies, like we had big budget, David Fincher, mm-hmm. you know, movie stars. You know, Superstars, <laughs> heavyweights. <laughs> this movie was made for no money by people who just love making movies without having rules, you know. And I think it's pretty good for that. I think it's a good conversation piece. Yeah. Uh, the morality of it. The question was, why did she make those decisions? And what would you do in her position? And I, again, it's weird. Like, I, I complain that I don't know why. But another part of me thinks if there was that scene where we were told implicitly, this is why, would I would probably it. be sitting here saying, ah, oh, but did they have to do that? <laughs> right. It could have been either way, right? You're like, oh, they ruined the movie for her. Why did they have to say that? You're right. It seems strange to put Seven in third position. Mm-hmm. And in the 1990s, I think I probably would have put Seven in first position. There would have been a time where I would have said confidently that I think Seven is a better movie than, than The Silence of the Lambs. But I'm not going to make that argument today. All right. I do think that Seven is a fantastic movie. And the, the fact that it's in third place in this list of movies should just say more about the quality of the, of the list first two, exactly, yeah, than yeah. it does about anything else. But there it is, the seven. Is the seven? No, the seven. 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 <laughs> uh, really, really good stuff. And like that screenplay was just a lot. Spot on. Yeah, I think that half the job was done. I mean, even if you didn't have a director as visually capable of Fincher, I think that script was going to ruffle some feathers. Controversially. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm putting The Silence of the Lambs in second place. I have no problem and with that. probably, like, history is going to tell me that I am completely up my own ass about <laughs> this. And I am saying it's a fantastic movie. And I'm, it's so influential as to have its power somewhat deadened with age, I think. It's not, like, completely an empty experience, mm-hmm. but, like... Your average Hannibal, uh, your average episode of Hannibal was way harsher yep. than what would have been considered crazily explicit. Yep. in even this 1991 horror movie, mm-hmm. it's worth watching for Jodie Foster. It's worth watching for Ted Levine, and it's worth watching for Anthony Hopkins. And because it's an important horror movie, it's a horror movie that that said that horror movies can make up win Oscars. Yeah. So it bam. broke it broke boundaries. Yeah. Ridiculously, perhaps, I'm going to put the lesser-known Citizen X in first place. I think there's a lot of power in the fact that this was a true story that I hadn't heard of. Mm-hmm. And that, I don't know, the the heartbreakingness. There's, there's such a malaise to the movie because this man just wants to stop the killing. And <laughs> everyone around him seems to be stopping him from, from doing stopping it. The, like, killing, yep. the insanity of it, the madness of it, like... 
uh, I think it's just an endlessly fascinating movie. I think that the cast is really good. I think that, you know, a, not a lot of people will have seen this one. So people listening to the podcast looking for something Watch it. new, yeah. seek it out. It doesn't, it doesn't age, it ages well, I should yeah. say. Yeah, it, it has aged yeah. fairly well. Like, yeah. uh, you can tell it was made, you know, on a limited budget. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know, it's also a historic film. Like, it's a period piece. Exactly. And you believe it. Yeah. So, um, this might be one of those cases where there's an early episode where I put like the remake of seventies remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Okay. Head of Alien. Oh it, it wow, almost, that must have rough. And it was just like, oh god. <laughs> it's like, but part of me was like, everybody loves Alien. Alien yeah. Everybody loves Alien. More people need to pay attention to Philip Coffin's version of Invasion okay, of the Body Snatchers. Was it Alien or Aliens? Alien, the oh. first one, the Ridley Scott one. Okay. It was tough, and I said it at the time, and it was just like this case, and that was the only spot on the list where yeah. we disagreed. So I feel like I kind of commied you with this, and I was just like... No, nope, not at all. This is, this is <laughs> like, I, I, I've always had a great affection for this movie, mm-hmm. and I just want more people to watch it. Ditto. Nope. So I'm putting it in number one and denying you a prize. <laughs> no worries, man. <laughs> Thanks so much, Rick. I really you're appreciate welcome, you doing man. this. Uh, like I say, if you uh, if you want to do it again, you're always welcome. And uh, yeah, I think it will do it again. I can review. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a movie guy, so that's, <laughs> I watch movies and TV shows. That's what I do. Yeah, well, no, I wait for those boys to go to bed, and then I watch something terribly violent. On <laughs> terribly violent. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I got my wife into it too. I've I've t- poisoned her, so <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. only into it too. Yeah, those are t- two of her favorite movies now too. <laughs> I did my job, <laughs> and that's good. So, oh, pathology was kind of the only loser of the bunch. So, one out of six, I've I've done far worse. Oh done yeah, so far. and even pathology, like, it, it was it was not boring. It, it was not boring. No, it no. just wasn't. I just just felt it ripped off. They can't all be Citizen X. No, nope, they can't all be Citizen X. <laughs> no, thanks, man. Yeah, no worries. So episode 67 of Rank and Review has come to a close. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Special thanks again to Rick Fair for coming out and doing that podcast. I, I don't know Rick real well, but I know he's got good taste in movies. Uh, do seek out the podcast on Facebook and on iTunes. You can see the website at rankandreview.ca where there is indeed an alphabetical list of all of the reviews, all of the back catalog of episodes. Uh, So give that a visit, give that a like. I hope you continue to listen to Rank and Review, and I hope you tell a film freak in in your life that uh, there's this podcast up there, and that it's waiting for them. Until next episode, where giant monsters take over, I hope you guys enjoy. And thank you so much for listening.